Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Good morning. Isn't it nice to be together with those who share a common confession, that of trust in Christ? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are reading Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, 1 to 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, well, we, uh, as you know, we've been in a sermon series on, on the parables, and we'll be in this for probably another five weeks or so. Um, we will actually be getting into some parables of the Old Testament, so there are parables in the Old Testament um, that, that is coming. But uh, I want to begin this morning. You, you heard Evan read the text about a feast. And I think often in, in Christianity, there, there is this great understanding of what we've been kind of forgiven and, and what we come out of, the cross and, and forgiveness. And, and that's beautiful. But I think a lot of times in the Christian circles, what lacks is what is God calling us in to? We're not just forgiven and, and clean slate and just keep living our lives like, like we lived before, clean up a little. Um, there, there, there's actually a, a promised land, so to speak, metaphorically, that God has for his people, and often in scripture, it's described as a feast. Now, there's a literal feast to come, but often the feast 
describes this amazing beauty with all of God's blessings. That kind of language is lost on our culture today because um, if you're like me, sometimes for lunch, you might eat it in your car. Fast food, right? We, we live in a very fast food culture. Some of you may sit down at a, a table to eat dinner and others you might not. Some people sit in front of a television to eat. But the reality was back in the day of Christ, dinners and, and feasting were long affairs. They would sit around the table and they were joyous affairs, conversation and, and some wine and some, some food and, and it would last the evening. And today we're going to read a parable about a feast and, and I just start like that because I want you to, to, to have in your background that, that while we may not be excited about a feast, that was probably the most exciting thing that could have happened in that day, a wedding feast. Everything is going to, to be there. You're going to have um, dancing and conversation and merriment and the best food and, and the whole town and, and village is going to be there. That is the ultimate place to be. So let's begin our parable, Matthew 22. Uh, we will start in verses 1 to 4. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So again, we're, we're in parables and, and sometimes things in parables um, don't have a one-for-one -one meaning. But in this parable, it's pretty simple. You've probably figured it out listening to me. You have a king. That's God the Father. You have a son who is going to be honored, Jesus Christ. You have a wedding feast, Jesus and the bride of Christ, the church. You have servants, prophets, apostles, pastors, those who proclaim the word of God. And then you have people that are being invited. That is the backdrop for what we are going to look at today. John 5.23 says this. Of Christ, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So, this is a wedding feast. And again, you can read it back in Matthew that the Father, the King, wants to honor the Son. And when you think about the Trinity that we worship Father, Son, Holy Spirit the Father delights in honoring the Son. The Holy Spirit's job is to shed light on the honor of the Son. The Son has all the honor, and the Father and the Spirit delight in honoring the Son. Why would we honor the Son? Well, there's two reasons why there would be a wedding feast to honor the Son. The first is the Son is all power, all might. He is mighty. 
And because he is mighty, honor and worship is due the Son. For by him all things were created. In heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by the Son and for the Son. In, in the Son, all things hold together. The government will be on his shoulders. He will sit on the throne of David. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. We honor the Son because of his power and might and his majesty. But we also honor the Son because of his humility and his love. Charles Spurgeon says this about Christ. In the greatness of his heart, Jesus would magnify his compassion even above his power that he might redeem the beloved objects of his choice from the penalty due their sins and enter into union with them. The feast is for the honor of Jesus is entering into spiritual union with his church. So this is that whole idea. We have a book out there that we're, we're giving away for free, gentle and lowly, that Jesus is gentle, he's lowly, he's humble. He desires to meet us where we are at. And Spurgeon is saying here that the greatness of his heart, he magnifies even over his, his majesty, the humility of Christ is magnified. And that is um, kind of borne out when we, the one place where Jesus describes his heart in the scriptures, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. So today's parable, we, we are going to be exploring two concepts, if you're a, a note taker here. Um, one is the parable is directly going to be pointing to what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb in, in Revelation. Okay, So this is the new heavens and the new earth being ushered in. There is a feast. So that's the, the parable is squ sitting squarely in, in that realm. But it's also talking to us here on earth and the church. The church is a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's going to be implications for, for God's people in the church. So a question that I, I want to throw out there, and you're going to hear it multiple times in this sermon, is what causes you to make excuses? What causes you to make excuses? Excuses not to feast on God's word. Excuses maybe not to come to church. Excuses not to enter into relationships with other Christians around God's word. What causes you to make excuses? Because it's real, this parable is going to press in. So, so be ready. You might get a little uncomfortable, but it's going to press in on that aspect of all of our hearts where we all lean towards, I don't really want to, I don't really want to come today, and, and you'd, you'd be happy to know that there are Sundays that I wake up, and I say to myself, I wish it wasn't Sunday. I'm tired. I don't want to be here. So we all have to look in our own hearts. All right, let's begin. Matthew 22, 5 to 7, it, the parable goes on. 
The king, in, um, through the servants, invite all these people, and look what happens. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So there's going to be a lot in this parable today. We're not going to touch on everything, and I'm going to camp out on certain aspects. Um, so you might leave saying, hey, what about this? And, and we can talk about it, and, um, but I'm not going to hit on anything. But the first thing that I want to say is God's people throughout history, if you do a survey of, from Genesis to Revelation, have always been treated shamefully. Now, there might have been periods of time for, for some of the older folks in this room where, where it, that, that might not have been the case here in the United States, but for the most part, the trajectory of history, God's people have always been mocked, treated shamefully, persecuted, and even killed for claiming faith in Christ. Psalm 89.50, this is, so we're going Old Testament Psalms. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations. So if you're a Christian and you have outed yourself as a Christian, you, you may not have, and I, I realize that I have a category for that, that some people keep their faith kind of quiet, but if you're a Christian and you've outed yourself as a Christian, you will be treated shamefully at some point in your life. You will be mocked, especially as we look at the culture and where we're headed, and we hold different views on sexuality and marriage and salvation, and on and on it goes. Um, the culture stands attentive, ready to mock. Are you willing to be treated shamefully for your faith? Last week, we looked at that, the woman of the city, and she came into the party, and everyone else around her was judging her, and she didn't care. She didn't give a rip. She just worshipped Jesus as she knew. Everyone around her was judging her. Are you willing to be treated shamefully for your faith? The second aspect that, that's being hit on in this parable um, that the servants were killed. So again, think back, the, the parable, God the Father, God the Son, wedding feast, go send the servants. The servants are the prophets, the apostles, the pastors, the teachers. They go out to proclaim the good news. This great wedding feast is coming. Repent, turn, and turn to God. And what happens they're killed. They're killed. Jesus himself laments over this in Matthew. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. God's people, from the Old Testament to today, have a problem. 
And you can find this in, in the books of the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and you can see it today. The problem that God's people have and still do is we love a slick, talking, motivating preacher telling us how great we are. That feels good. That feels good. We don't want the prophetic voice speaking into our life saying, hey, turn away from your sin, trust God, which is the very voice that will give us life. But our inclinations are, no, I don't want that. I want to be told that I'm great and that I have a lot of potential. We desire, and so did Israel, by the way, we desire a motivational speaker, not a prophet. And we have to reckon with that. We, we all have to reckon with that. This is in every one of our hearts because we're, we're sinful. We don't want the prophet's voice. Paul says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy, he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. If you think about today, there's no greater time in the history of the world that you and I can accumulate teachers I don't know if you guys podcast, but I, I have Apple iTunes, and I listen to, at any given time, five to, to seven teachers. And you, some of you I know do as well. We can accumulate teachers. And I can say, well, I don't want this type of teaching. I want this type of teaching. I don't want this. I want this. I want this. And Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, there's a time coming where you're, the people of God, they're not even going to want to hear sound teaching. They want to be tickled. And again, this is motivational speaking, which is very popular in Christianity. And you might be surprised to hear that my goal every Sunday is not to motivate you. That's not my goal. I think I could do that. I really do. I think I could get you guys all whirled up, leaving here feeling like, yeah, I, I think that, that that's within me, but that's not going to help you. That's not going to help you in any way. We, I, you, we need the word of God bearing down on our hearts, pressing on those places that we need to be pressed and comforting on those places that we need to be comforted. That's what we need. That's how we're going to grow. We grow when our wills stop fighting God and finally just submit and say, okay, you are God. Your will be done, not mine. That's when you're going to experience blessing. And that getting to that place is not fun. Let's admit that. That is not fun for any of us to get there. Elizabeth Elliot says this about the battle of the will. Whose agenda do you accept? Will it be your own or will it be God's? There's no greater display of pride in the world than in contests of our will with God. So we're all in a contest of wills with God, but the, the reality is, is your will going to triumph or are you finally going to say, your will be done, not mine? So again, back to the parable. We have the, the servants go out. Come, 
Come to the feast. Feast isn't a bad thing. The feast is a good thing. Come to the feast. Come eat. Be merry. And they say, you know what? Uh Uh-uh. And then we, we, we see their heart. They seize the servants, treat them shamefully, and kill them. Luke has another uh, version of this same parable, and we're, we're going to look at that because Luke begins to unpack some of the excuses. Luke says this, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. They're invited to the feast. I would rather just do whatever I want to do. James Montgomery Boyce says this. He says, you do not have to murder a prophet to miss out. You only have to fritter away your time on things that will eventually pass away and thus let your opportunities for repentance pass by. So I would ask you this morning, have you come to him? Have you come to Christ? Is there oil in your lamp? Has the seed fallen on good soil? Is the seed taking root? Have you entered the feast? Do you have a desire to even be at the feast? And I realize we're talking in metaphors and that might be lost on some of you. I will unpack that here in a bit. But do you desire the things of God? And if you're in here and the majority of you are going to say, yes, I do, I'm here, I've come to the feast, and I would say, oh, just please don't stop there. There's a whole kind of Christianity that is found, and it's in the water and everything you read, and it's here in America, and it's just, hey, I'm punching my ticket to heaven, I believe, move on. And I would just say, beware of that. That is not what the Bible talks about when it talks about knowing God, punching a ticket, being saved and then doing anything you want, living any way you want, not being part of the local church where the feast is every Sunday being put out and laid out. So I would ask you, if you have come to him, are you building your life on the rock on the rock, because it's possible to know him and build most of your life on the sand, on the the no foundation. Are you building your life on the rock? Or, like the people in this parable, are you making excuses? And maybe you're thinking, well, one day I will. One day I will, and I would just challenge you, why not start now? In fact, I, I would actually, when think about that, why not read Matthew 21 and 22 today when you get home? 
chapter 21 and 22. 21 will give you a lot of context for what we're looking at today, and it, it will, you'll, you'll probably see if you read together, and maybe you're married and, and maybe you're not, but if, if you want to read with someone, if you can, read it, start talking about it. What's, what did I find in here? Why? Oh, wait, maybe Jesus is saying this because this is happening. There's a lot going on. I don't have time to unpack all of it. But why not build your life on the rock? When you think about the church, the, the Bible talks about the church being a foretaste of this great wedding supper to come. And that's, I, I realize that's a category maybe a lot of you don't have. Like, Church is church, we go, we hear a teaching. But the reality is, church is, is, think about it more like a banquet. This is how God has called us to worship. It's ordained by him, the Lord's Supper, the preaching of the word, the reading of the word, the singing of the word, com communion. Like this is, this is the banquet. We're feasting together on the word of God, and there's something deep and rich in that. Dallas Willard says this, the leading assumption in the American church is that you can be a Christian but not a disciple. We see a church that knows nothing of commitment. We have settled for the marginal. And so we carry this awful burden of trying to motivate people to do what they don't want to do. We need to clarify in our minds what discipleship is. A disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. Disciples are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. So I know as I read that quote, that's going to hit people differently. And think about where it's hitting you. Think about where that's hitting you. Where do you need to revise your affairs to follow Jesus, to come to the feast that's laid out for you here on earth? We're not just waiting for the feast in heaven, although the feast in heaven will eclipse anything that we can imagine. There is a feast here. We can live what Jesus calls the abundant life. Paul calls it the life that is truly life. You can live your life following your own kingdom, building your own kingdom, or you can live it following Jesus and his kingdom. And his kingdom will not be shaken. Your kingdom will fall. Why build something that's going to fall and burn to the ground? This is the mission and goal of, of Vintage Faith Church. We want to be a people who prioritize the kingdom over everything else in our lives. We I want you guys to be a people that want to love and follow Jesus, not just, hey, me up here trying to motivate you like that quote said. If I just try to motivate you, that's going to wear off at some point, or it's going to feel like law. Like, why is this guy up here telling me to read my Bible? That's not what I want. I desire for you to want to read your Bible, to want to follow Jesus, to want to be obedient to Jesus, to want to be here on Sunday worshiping with the saints, to want your life to be infused with real purpose and real meaning. We're all searching for that, but we're searching in the wrong places. You want to find meaning and purpose, you will find it building God's kingdom in this world. And God's kingdom in this world is the church. That's it.
You want to find meaning and purpose. Figure out what your gifts are. Get involved, and you will find it. Do you desire Christ over all earthly treasures? Think back to that parable of the treasure. Do you desire Christ? Can you say with the man who found the treasure and he finds it and he, start, he looks into it and he says, I have to have that. Everything, like Paul says, everything else I've done is garbage. I have to have that. That's where you're going to find life. That's where you're going to find joy. Let us be a church that takes the road less traveled. So the parable continues. And we have a warning here in this next section. And I think the warning is, God is not going to pursue you forever. I think that's the warning that, that we're dealing with in this parable, meaning God will invite and invite and invite and entreat and entreat and entreat, but there comes a time where he says, okay, I'm moving on. And we see that right here. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. God's marriage supper will have guests. The church will have people. Whether we are here or not. The Son will be honored. Now there's a little bit of context here that, that what's going on is the Jews were rejecting Christ. We see this in many of the parables, by the way. Um, if you're, you've been following along and reading the parables, the Jewish, the Pharisees and the scribes were, were rejecting Jesus. And many of the parables that he was telling was a direct just hit on them. Like, oh, let me tell you a story. And, and we got, you know, the elder brother who was left out. Well, the younger brother who represented the Gentiles um, came into the feast. And here we have the same thing. Those who were invited were God's people, the Jewish people, and they wouldn't come. And now we say, well, we hear God saying, okay, go out to the roads. Find anyone that you can on the main road. Bring them in. My, my, my feast is going to have people. This is reminiscent of John 1 when it says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. His own people did not receive him, but the son will be honored. So the father fills up the feast with those on the road, those who, who probably can't come into the feast and just like, I can't believe I'm in this feast. Like, this is amazing. They're, the fatted calves are being killed. The best steak is being served. The joy, the honoring of the sun. These people are brought in and they're grateful. Is that you? Do you know Christ? Have you been brought in? Are you grateful? Do you look around and say, I can't believe that he has taken this wretched heart and turned it? That is the God that we worship every Sunday. This is the God that we worship. So you might think that the 
parable ends here, but just like many of the other parables, there's a, there's a twist, and there's a twist in this parable, so let's keep reading. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So we have to do a little contextual work here. Weddings in this day, they would provide guests with garments. Part, a lot of scholars believe they would do that so that all the social strata would just be kind of leveled out and, and people could just enjoy a good time. But there would be garments. So we, hear, we see here we have a, a man without one and he's treated harshly. So we got, we got to look at that. But before we, we go there, just um, your minds might be going to, rightfully, uh, the Old Testament. There's a clothing in the Old Testament is, it, is a big theological line. We have Adam and Eve, right? What happens in the garden when um, they realize that they're naked, they're clothed. The priests in the Old Testament are clothed with garments. Um, we have this verse in Zechariah here. This is not the Joshua that took the promised land, but uh, a different Joshua. Now Joshua was, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, the garments are signifying purity. Purity, righteousness. And a dirty garment is signifying sin. Um, there's a, a whole host of scriptures. I'm not going to bring them all in. But back to the parable. We have a man, he shows up at this wedding feast, and he is without a garment. And he stands out. Like the, the king comes in and immediately sees him. And there's a problem. Charles Spurgeon says this of, of this man. He came into the banquet when he was bidden, so he was requested. But he came only in appearance. He came not in heart. The banquet was intended for the honor of the son, but this man meant not so. He was willing to eat the good things, but he intended no respect to the prince. He did not acknowledge the king, nor the prince, nor care one atom about the gladsome event. He had no objection to be there, to eat the dainties or recline upon the seats and see the pomp and the show, but he was only in it and not of it. He was there in body, but not in spirit. And this is what we all have this last line, you've got to do work in your own heart. Are there not crowds of people whose union to the church is nothing better than an insult to God. So you have to ask yourself, why, why do I go to church? If the church is the foretaste of the wedding banquet to come, and we're commanded in, in the New Testament to come and to, to worship 
why do you come? Why do you come? What do you believe the church is? That's another question. What should we be doing? There's a, I ask these questions because there's a whole host of different answers to this. We live in, in, in the time and the place that's rather new where the church has become a business and they brand and, and it's all about the business aspect of the church and they operate much like a corporation and not like the pillar and the buttress of the truth of God. Did you know when you come here every Sunday, the Bible will describe it as a feast. You're feasting on the word of God. You're singing the word of God. You're hearing the preached word of God. You're hearing the read word of God. You're hearing the prayed word of God. You're fellowshipping with each other. This is a foretaste of the wedding feast to come. And I, and I know you, you're human. You look around, you're like, this is a foretaste? That wedding feast to come can't be that great, right? But this is a foretaste. It is. The Holy Spirit comes and, and works amongst the people and works amongst the preached word of God. And it's not how good was the music and how good was the sermon. I didn't like this and I didn't like that. It's the gathered people of God feasting on the word of God. If you can say in your heart of hearts that Christ is Lord, I love him, I worship him, you have the wedding garment. But if you can't say that, if you're wrestling with, well, I don't even, I've come because I just come, then maybe you're in here without the wedding garment. And it's not that there's condemnation in that. These scriptures are here to wake us up and to say, okay, am I, Am I in the, the fold? Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't take it lightly. So back to this verse, Matthew twenty-two twelve. 12. And he said to him, friend, how, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. I want to ask you this question. And we will, we will end with, with a few of these questions. Suppose tonight is the night that God calls you home. None of us would suppose that because we kind of blissfully live thinking that, that death is not that close to us. But suppose tonight was the night. You're standing before God. Imagine for a moment you're standing before the gates of paradise, and maybe the feast is, is, you can see the feast inside, and you can see the, all the merriment and partying and whatever you want, a sanctified fun happening, and you want in. Like, you might hear me now and say, I don't, I don't even care about that, but imagine for a moment you did, and you're talking to God, standing face-to-face -face with him, And he asks you this question. What right do you have to come in? That's the question that he asks. What right do you have to come in? How do you answer that? There's really only two answers. The first one is, 
I'm a good person. I've lived a good life. I haven't killed anyone. Yada, 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 whatever you want to say. Let me in. I hope you can see that that answer is actually living by the law. Whatever law, God's law, your own law that you've set up, somehow you're determining that your life was good and that's why God should say, come in to the feast. The problem with that is the Bible, first of all, Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This man with a wedding garment, without the wedding garment, when the king approached him, was speechless. Have you ever been speechless? This man was speechless. Paul says in Romans, every mouth will be stopped. This man comes to the wedding feast in his own righteousness, with his own polluted works, in his own polluted garment, and he comes into the feast not caring about the son or the honor of the son. He's just there. He wants to be there for the feast who wouldn't want to be there. And the king asks him, how did you get in? And he can't say a word. Speechless. So if you're in here and you would answer my first question, if God asked you what right do you have to come in, think about it if that's where you would go. Think about that question because the Bible, there's a big problem in the Bible for that. The second answer and the only answer that can be said, what right do you have to come in? Only through the blood of Jesus. I have a right to come to the feast because it's not my righteousness, it's his. He died on the cross and took my sin and I took his righteousness and I wear that garment and I wear it every day because I know mine is polluted. I come in because of him. Can you say that? Can you say that? Whose righteousness are you trusting in? Because if you can say that and mean it, you're going to hear, and again, this is my conjecture, something like this from the Father. Come in, my son. Come in, my daughter. Everything I have is yours. If you can say that, you're going to hear something like that. Come in to the feast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as a church. Our hearts, Lord, we confess, are often chasing things rather than you, building our life on our own kingdom rather than building your kingdom, trusting in our own righteousness rather than yours. Lord, we as a, as a people confess 
help us to really take hold and understand and taste what it means to, to have your righteousness, the garment that is required for the wedding feast. As I say these words, I know that they're lost on some and, and confused to others, but Lord, I just pray that you clarify, convict hearts, work in people's hearts, even now that, that may not not know you. We ask that your spirit move. We thank you. You are mighty and holy, but also humble and sweet. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.